I'm Doc Gallows, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. This episode of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling is sponsored by Blue Chew. Let's talk about something we could all use more of right now. That's right, sex. Great sex. Guys, now you can increase your performance and get extra confidence in the bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com is the place to go. That's right, blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. If you could benefit from more confidence, right where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free. That's right. When you use the promo code EMPIRE, you pay just $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, the promo code Empire to try it for free. That's right, bluechew.com. Use the promo code Empire. This mad scientist thing that you've forced <laughs> us all into, and these beautiful people who've paid for this thing. Crack a beer, take off your pants, and watch the worst pay-per-view ever. Talking shop a mania! Has he fallen off the wagon again? Uh, stutter? <laughs> what? She feel that looks at Thor. You like him? No, I don't like him. I'm gonna shoot, kill that it's guy. Top listen, listen. And I thought Sturgis sucked. Oh my! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following is a contract on a tree <laughs> match. <laughs> Throwback. <laughs> Frankie Coverdale. Oh, oh no interest. Oh, no <laughs> way. That motherfucker <laughs> says woo on that. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is a social distancing battle royal. The size of his death here for one reason. Revenge. (laughs) He's hung like a 90s porn star. Matt Cardona. Was this the second take? Yo, this is f***ing money hole. There's the money pit. Gallows ain't making a dollar on this show. No! Just like the Lord. The darkness. Blessed everything, baby. One last time, face. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production.
What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else. Oh! Oh my God! This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Well, look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that, and every kid I, they knew they could kick the shit out of me. At this point, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. (laughs) They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Jazz, the two-man power trip of wrestling. For Cesaro and Sheamus to knock off Anderson and Gallows, and somehow Luke Gallows stays in the match. Notice how Cesaro used his body to hook both of Gallows' legs, trying to get any sort of advantage in the cover, but it still wasn't quite enough. Oh, I think we know Cesaro's thinking here. They do the old Texas swing here in San Antonio. Tag made to Carl Anderson. Oh, and Anderson just ran into Sheamus with that big boot, and Cesaro, though, follows it up with an uppercut. Cesaro was able to sidestep Anderson. I think the boot was intended for Cesaro, but it landed on Sheamus. There's a cover. Anderson using the ropes to his advantage, and there's where the second referee comes into play. Anderson may have stolen there, but uh, the second referee didn't allow it to happen. There's the uppercut, Cesaro. Kick out by Anderson, an air fall. Could be magic killer time. We'll be looking at new champions. And Sheamus, oh. though. Oh! Cesaro into a swinging oh, feet. My God! One of the officials knocked down inadvertently by a bro kick. And now Cesaro looking for the swing. Third attempt is the charm. The second official's taking over control inside of the ring. And that's a welcome sight for Cesaro, who may be on the verge of Putting Carl Anderson away. Looking for the sharpshooter on Anderson. It's locked in. Sharpshooter, center of the ring. Anderson with nowhere to go. And now Carl Anderson in deep, deep trouble as Cesaro sits out. Anderson trying to force himself to the bottom rope to force a break here. 
Anderson's almost there. Cesaro trying oh, to drop no, the no. back to the center of the ring. Great ring awareness. Oh, but look out. And now, looking for the victory. In a win the tag team titles, and Sheamus breaks it up. It's in the nick of time with Sheamus, and, and now the brawling begins. This thing's breaking down in a hurry. I'm starting to wish we had four or five referees out here. And now Sheamus taking out Carl Anderson. Oh, oh, oh careful. We gotta be very careful there. And oh. Gallows, though, got Sheamus with a kick. And now Gallows and Anderson with a magic killer. Cesaro, legal man, Anderson is too. Anderson's got the tights, Anderson's got the tights, it doesn't matter, they win the tag team titles. Here are your winners, and the new Raw Tag Team Champions, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. Anderson and Gallows finally get it done, they win tag team gold for the first time in their WWE career. Come on Cole, too sweet me. This is a great moment for Gallows and Anderson, well deserved. Now all the dollars can shut up. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is JP John Paz and this is the flagship interview show, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. On today's episode, we have the two-time WWE World Tag Team Champion, the three-time IWGP World Tag Team Champion, Luke Gallows, the big LG, he is really a Doc Gallows, and it's been a long time coming of him coming on the show. We do talk about it in the interview pretty briefly, don't want to harp on it or really harp on the negative, but it is funny, years ago, the WB was supposed to set up an interview with him, I had communication with Doc, everything was set, it was all good, WB cancels it last minute, then it you know goes awry, it never happens. You know, you think the wrestlers, not that they're at fault at all, ever really, but they're kind of put in the harm's way, so to speak, and they almost made it look as if it was his fault when it clearly wasn't. I knew better because I knew the, the PR staff over there, and I know better than to uh, believe is ever the wrestler's fault. So just a little tidbit, a uh, little story there. Uh, he remembered all these years later, and we were talking uh, not that long ago, and he said, yes, I owe you one. I remember that. And I was just shocked that he remembered that. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because it shows you, A, what a nice guy he is, and B, he's got a great memory, and, and even C, he really, really, you know, kind of felt bad that they, uh, you know, didn't make it happen for us, uh, the two-man power trip, and he didn't forget it. So I just love that, and I just thought that was cool of Doc that he actually remembered that, because yeah, I would think, like, oh, no, I don't remember that. What are you talking about? So that's just a cool little uh, behind-the-scenes TMPT Doc Gallo story. What a great guy, and what a great interview. Of course, today on this episode, we were talking about the number one podcast in wrestling and the number one podcast in sports that is Talking Shop over on MLW Network, the MLW Radio Network. So right now with Talking Shop, he's got so much great stuff going on. So why not throw a pay-per-view? And why not have it be the worst pay-per-view of all time? That's right, Talking Shop of Mania. August 1st, live and on pay-per-view on Fight TV. This is one of the things where I'm just sitting there thinking as I'm watching this awesome trailer that you can find uh, on YouTube, Talking Shop of Mania. Just type it in, type pay-per-view trailer, and it'll pop up for you. But it's just one of those things where talking to a few buddies of mine, and we're literally like, shit, 
We're ordering this pay-per-view, aren't we? Yep, we are. We haven't ordered a pay-per-view in a, a very long time. I mean, it's been uh, quite a while. There hasn't been anything really worthwhile out there to order, to be honest. Um, wrestling has kind of been a little slow lately, but as soon as I saw this trailer, I immediately said to my buddies, and they messaged me back, yeah, we're getting this pay-per-view. We're definitely interested. Uh, it just looks hilarious. I mean, there's no expectations going in. Oh, this is going to be great. You just know that you are going to be entertained. It's just going to be a great show. So I highly recommend to everybody go get it. Actually, you can even get it um, on your pay-per-view provider. DirecTV has it. In Demand has it. But I'm going to go the good old Fight TV route. And that's, of course, like I said, August 1st. Live and on pay-per-view, talking to Shop Amania. So get that good stuff. Also, we talk about his Patreon. They got a beer coming out. It's just an unbelievable kind of role that they're on. And, of course, why he's on that role, really, is because of that WWE release. And some guys, when they get released from WWE, you never hear from them again. Or they kind of get a depression or go in the doldrums and they just can't get out. And, you know, sometimes you just really never hear from the guys again. But, my God, did Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson, after their WWE release, make a huge impact and I kind of say that because of their debut in Impact Wrestling, but they really just made an impact all over the place. My God, like I mentioned, the podcast, this pay-per-view, is getting talked about all over the place. They uh, made the, obviously, on Slammiversary, making the Impact Wrestling debut, which did the number one social numbers for Impact that they've ever done, and they were actually trending for the first time, I think, ever. Uh, so that's pretty just damn impressive of them. And, of course, then, now it opens the door when the uh, the floodgates get back open and the uh, international travel is allowed. They'll be back in New Japan Pro Wrestling, where they made such an unbelievably big impact the first time there with the Bullet Club. So, I mean, we talk about that. We talk about so many different things in this interview. I just had a blast. He's just uh, so easy and so fun to talk to. And it's funny because in WWE, you, you never heard him talk. So who knew, right? I mean, who knew that he was able to talk and he had charisma, he had this personality. But in this interview, Doc really, really shines. And you really see what a great interview he is. And he's just got so much to say. And I just love when we're talking about Carl Anderson and talking about their chemistry and, and how they formed a team and how now that they kind of formed a, a bit of a brotherhood here. The Good Brothers are really just kind of um, taking over the world and, and doing it as brothers. They're just, you know, the best of friends, travel partners, drinking buddies, whatever you want to say, they're just doing everything together. And I just think that's awesome because the WWE really kind of doesn't put any uh, credence and any love to the tag division and the tag teams. So they were kind of just floundering there, and this is kind of the best-case scenario for them. You know, you, you miss out maybe on some WWE money or stuff like that. But maybe, you know, if you think about it, you're probably going to end up making more money now being the number one podcast, having a big pay-per-view, ha having, uh, you know, Impact Wrestling take off, go back to New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I think he's got a safe place in this wrestling world where he is going to do well for many, many years to come. One more time, I'll just me mention it's Talking Shop of Mania, August 1st, pay-per-view, Fight TV check it out you're gonna love it of course that is fight.tv for those new to the game there and you can also check it out on demand or on direct tv as well so before i send it off to some uh, tmpt business just want to also mention the other shows a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire taskmaster talks with kevin sullivan on the creative control network 
Take it to school with Dr. Tom Pritchard on the TMPT feed. Talking tough with Rick Bassman over on Podcast One. Dirty Dutch, his show, The University of Dutch, on the MLW Radio Network. And of course, the franchise, Shane Douglas, his triple threat podcast available on Vince Russo's The Brand. So without any further ado, I'm going to send it off to some TMPT business. And then the interview with the two-time WWE Tag Team Champion, the three-time IWAGP World Tag Team Champion, the Big LG, Doc Gallows. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Raslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Automatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. Joining us on the line right now is a former two-time WWE World Tag Team Champion, a three-time IWGP World Tag Team Champion. You may know him as the Big LG. He is Doc Gallows. Doc, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. The two-man power trip. I've been reading about this thing for a minute. Now I am here, and we are getting going. It's good to be here. What's going on, good brother? Hey. Hey, not to start off on a negative note, but remember years ago, and this is a credit to you. You remembered this. We were supposed to do an interview through WB and the PR, the crack PR team over there screwed it up and it never happened. And you remembered it. So, I mean, that was awesome. I was like, wow, I can't believe he actually remembered that. Well, I do remember it because I I hate stuff happens and I don't think it should reflect on the talent as much as the people who are in charge of steering the talent where everything's supposed to be. So that's not to bury anybody. I'm just saying, if I tell you I'm going to do something, I generally like to do it, but, uh, we're here now. So let's get it, get it rolling, brother. Yeah. Let's talk about something positive. Now we were just talking last night a little bit with, with Rick and we were talking about talking tough, uh, talking tough. That's his pocket. Sorry. Talking shop um, yep. and, and the big pay-per-view coming up. And after we were done, he's like, man, I, I think I'm going to fucking order this thing. I was like, me too. <laughs> so God, tell us a little bit about the talking shop, a mania on fight TV. You got going on on August 1st. 
So Fight TV, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, August the 1st, Talking Shop of Mania. We're really excited about it. Uh, Fight TV is not the only place where you can see that thing. We are available on American Pay-Per-View. Um, we are available on Canadian Pay-Per-View, uh, In Demand, Direct TV. I'm trying to find my little list here. I had it pulled up, and it's no longer in front of me. Here we go. Uh, in Demand. DirecTV, Dish, Verizon, UVerse, and in Canada, available on Shaw, Pay-Per-View, Bell TV, and SaskTel. If none of that works for you, uh, watch iPay-Per-View. Do what I do. Watch the Fight app. Uh, Fight TV will be broadcasting this thing as well. Uh, this is not a serious wrestling pay-per-view. This is a serious parody with some of your favorite wrestling characters stepping out of what you would normally see them do on television or elsewhere. Uh, this is a wink to all of you serious fans who listen to things like this, who follow our podcast, Talk and Shop. If you're not doing that, you need to rate, like, and subscribe. Um, and have a good time with us, man. We are stepping out, and we're trying to make people have a good time. We're trying to put a smile on your face. We're trying to make you laugh in a time when our world is in a very uncertain place with a lot of really serious stuff going on. So, you know, we thought uh, we did a cinematic match with The Undertaker and AJ Styles in a co-main event of WrestleMania. We were let go 12 days later. So who would we be as the comedians that we think that we are if we did not spoof that and make a parody surrounded by it? So you're not going to see a Boneyard match. What you will see is Sex Ferguson taking on his longtime partner, Chad Tubad, in a boner yard match, uh, <laughs> you're going to see cameos from some of wrestling's greatest superstars from the present, the past, from the Rock and Roll Express to Chavo Guerrero to D'Lo Brown to Enzo to Brian Myers to Mike Bennett, his wife Maria Canellis to Heath. Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, independent talent mixed in there. All kinds of great surprises, cameo appearances. It's uh, it's a 90 minutes of, uh, I hope what will be a very good time for all you guys. It's available for just $14.95. So even if you think it sucks, you can't be that mad at me because we've all wasted 15 bucks before. So <laughs> I hope that you will jump in, you will join in. I hope you will laugh along and it'll put, like I said, a, at least a chuckle, you know, uh, we had a, we, we chuckled the whole time we were doing it. So please join along. And you can't have high expectations if it's called the worst pay-per-view of all time, right? No, no, it's going to be terrible, but hopefully terrible for the right reasons. You know what I'm saying? That's my, that's my hope anyway. So bad. It's good. Absolutely. I think the most intriguing thing, maybe Rory Fox or, or Lodi or Johnny Swinger or something. You know what I mean? Like oh, these random goodness. cameos. I mean, the flock reunited uh, on pay-per-view. Rory Fox coming, uh, if you listen to the Talking Shop podcast, to avenge uh, a wrong and injustice he feels happened to his wrestling career over a decade ago when I was live in the building. Um, you know, it's... <laughs> that was great, yes. I'm just laughing thinking about it. I can't wait yeah, to see yeah. it. That's uh, a great story. Him and uh, obviously Zack Ryder is, <laughs> you know. It sure it's is one enemy now forever because his real life hatred for him is, is one of my favorite things still going in the business. So this is just kind of like the brainchild of you guys, right? I mean, you guys really just kind of just thought it out and like, you know, fuck it. Let's just do a pay-per-view. Yeah. Fuck it. Why not? Um, we have time to plan this thing. We had no idea how much work would have to go into it, but uh, now it's done. And we, we, 
we hope you guys will watch along with us. Uh, if you're in Georgia, I'm going to actually watch it live with a socially distanced audience at the Southern Brewing Company in Athens, Georgia. Um, we're going to start that with a live Zoom meet and greet with uh, Carl Anderson and Rocky Romero. It'll start at 8 p.m. The pay-per-view will come on at 9. I'll be hanging out, having beers with you guys and watching the pay-per-view, and then we'll hang out after, too, I'm sure. So uh, if you're in the area come along with me. You can either laugh with me or laugh at me when it's finished, but you'll be laughing nonetheless, I feel. You know what's great, though? And you just think like, wow, like you're so creative. This is so funny. This is such a great idea. But WB never lets you talk. So it's like, wow, where did we, where is this coming from? Like, what? This guy is, has personality. He could talk. He's charisma. What, what, where did this come from? They, uh, maybe they never let me talk because they figured I would never shut up. And that's kind of what's happening and you're seeing now. But uh, yeah, no, it was, um, you know, we're a tag team, and, and as as history has taught us about world wrestling entertainment, it's not necessarily uh, high on the tag team division, even though they have some of the best tag teams in the entire world. But uh, you can click over to Impact Wrestling. we got a hell of a strong tag division over there now with ourselves, the North. we got the returning Motor City Machine Guns, uh, a lot of great up-and-coming young tag teams out there. So, um Tag team wrestling's alive and well. AEW, our friends over there, they're kicking ass as well. So I mean, I I think that if you if you have a hunger for a good tag match, which I always do, you can find it. It's just on a different channel. There's uh, no doubt about that. And you talk about the debut and impact did huge numbers socially for impact. I'm sure the pay-per-view obviously did great because there were so many teases of, you know, the good brothers joining impact. So what kind of made that decision easy for you? Or like what made you kind of want to jump to impact? It was an easy decision. They had been courting us uh, since September of 19 uh, when we were looking to leave WWE. <clears throat> and AEW had put together a great offer for us as well. And obviously, we made the wrong decision and uh, stayed with <laughs> WWE. But this go-around, what made Impact so attractive was Scott Moore, Don Callis, uh, Ed Nordham over there at Impact. They basically opened their arms to support all this other outside stuff that Carl and I want to do and are doing with, you know, our podcast, the worst podcast ever, Talk and Shop, rate, like, and subscribe. Um, the pay-per-view Talk and Shop a Mania that was a brainchild that came out of the podcast. Um, coming out with our own beer and all kinds of different products. So it was very gratifying when I watched back uh, the television from Tuesday and saw the Talk and Shop a Mania graphic. Uh, we were allowed to speak freely about it. We were allowed to speak in the ring without a script. Um, all those things made us really know and solidify the fact that this was the right decision and uh, onward and upward. Uh, that brand had a great roster, and now I think it's got more eyes on it. Um, you know, And I think we had a lot to do with that, and I think some of the other talent coming in had a lot to do with that, and I think that it's going to be a hell of a wrestling show. Um, I think it's going to be one that people are going to want to tune into and continue to tune into. And obviously that's our goal. And uh, we want to wear the impact hat, wave the impact flag and continue to grow both of our brands and grow them mutually. We got a lot of cool stuff coming up that we haven't even announced yet. And um, basically we're partnered up on everything. So it's, it's very cool and it's very exciting. They put a carve out in for us to be able to return to new Japan when the world is open enough to do so, which was super important to us. And, uh, very understanding schedule wise with that. So it just, it couldn't have felt any better to be honest with you. That is great. They kind of left you kind of, you know, 
freely creatively where they don't say you can't do this can't do that they're very open and they almost yeah. want to help you guys you know push push your beer yeah. push the number one podcast not only in wrestling but the number one podcast uh, in the sports world as well absolutely and, and you know we appreciate all you guys who who listen to wrestling podcasts who listen to podcasts and who who click in and and <laughs> listen to us and all of our silly bullshit because we sure do as much as we like to joke and say we hate to do it, as soon as we put the headphones on, we're laughing the entire time. So, uh, you know, wrestling's supposed to be fun. Let's keep it that way. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> now, with Impact, and like, really, you made such an impact with the debut. Did you kind of expect that kind of going in, that it was going to be, you know, all over the place and you guys were going to be trending and everything else? Did you expect that at all? We expected a lot of buzz. I think they expected a lot of buzz as far as the Impact brand. I don't know that they knew it would be as much buzz as it got. I mean, the number one tweet in their history was our announcement. Um, mm -hmm. We were coming and then trending worldwide. Number one. Great. And kudos to everybody there. Everybody already under the brand that works so hard to get it where it is. Uh, we loved coming in and being a part of that. But I, I think that it was good strategy <clears throat> for once <laughs> on our part. You know, we put together our countdown to Fucktown, and we've been counting down and talking mm -hmm. about it on social media. And we kind of had our uh, rebirth party where we did our boozing with the boys that you can join in on Patreon. We do it twice a month. Uh, Patreon.com backslash talk and shop where you can come in and drink with us, hang out, ask questions. We do all kinds of silly stuff. But we did a two hour lead in, and then right at midnight, you switch over to youtube.com backslash talk and shop podcast. And then that was our. Uh, for lack of a better term, like our pipe bomb podcast where you've seen the headline. I've yep. said what I said about Paul Heyman because it's true. No need to revisit all that. And then um, did a, basically a deep dive on what we have coming up and what's going on. I think that all that combined together with their promotion and the buzz that was already happening, it, it just it couldn't have helped more. And then, of course, all the great surprises from Eric Young to EC3 to Brian Myers to, like I said, the return in Motor City Machine Guns, Heath. Uh, very cool stuff. And it's interesting. Like you say you didn't want to really want to talk about the Heyman thing, but I just think it's so interesting what I read online. They're like, what Paul Heyman, like a lot of young hipster fans, maybe they're a little bit clueless or maybe they don't know wrestling. Like Paul Heyman, he's not liar. He blah, 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 this and that. And it's so funny. All the guys that I talk to, like yeah, Dutch Mantel and Shane Douglas and, and Justin incredible and all these guys that I'm friendly with, yeah. they're all like laughing. They're like, what? He's the biggest liar in the history of the business. Like we've known that for years. How come these fans don't, realized like, like <laughs> he's a snake then you know that's that's something that i said that <clears throat> was a real conversation i had with carl in a rental car outside of a gym one time before we jumped on a phone call with him where he was selling everything to us i said you know all these guys who came before us who have always told stories publicly and told us privately hey this guy's a liar you can't fucking trust him i mean why why should we what do we think and i think we were hoping for the best and uh mm -hmm. You know, he, he proved uh, the naysayers of the past to be correct. They weren't naysayers. They were just telling us the truth. And uh, the same snake bit us that maybe bit them. So, mm -hmm. hey, that's on us. And uh, we're moving on. That's rearview mirror shit now. Yep. I just thought it was funny that people were like, no way he's not a liar. I was like, oh, he my would God, never do that to these yeah. guys. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like, man, like, no, he, he yeah. trust me, he would. They're like, no, he wouldn't. He's Brock Lesnar's manager. It's like, no, he's more than like, well, they don't yeah, really pay attention. Yeah, He's yeah. an on-air character. We'll leave it at that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I just thought it was funny, like in that video, you know, like 
another guy named Paul's a liar. It's just funny, like the way you guys converse with each other, but it's so smooth and it's so lighthearted, but also, it, you know, it's shooting. So, I mean, it, it's, you it guys is, have a lot of fun. Yeah. And then that was the deal. It just, it, we had to say it, we said it and, you know, it's out there now. It's not going away. And it, it was what it was. So I'm, I'm glad that we, glad that we told the truth. That was a big thing that he was saying. If I ever lie to you, bury me. Cause I want the locker room to know. And that's why I said what I said. Now the locker room, if you didn't believe it from the guys before you can believe it from us because that's yep. the truth. So, yep, absolutely. Now with kind of you guys and, and let's say, you know, you put out that video, not really what you said, but how you're saying it and how you guys are kind of conversing. Do you think that's what it's kind of gotten you guys so over with everybody, how relatable you guys are. And like, you know, it's just like, you guys are so smooth talking. It's almost like you're sitting with the boys drinking the beer. Like, yeah, this guy fucked me, fuck him. And, and, and just really kind of being lighthearted, but, but it's really, you know, you're really kind of being very relatable. Well, you know, Carl and I, uh, Rocky too, but uh, you know, people were looking at us on a lot of levels when this thing were, we're very grounded guys. Anybody who knows us in real life, anybody who knows us in the business, we're, we're fun loving guys. We love to have a good time. We love pro wrestling, uh, always have. And, uh, we don't have any reason to bullshit about any of it. So we don't, you know, and that's why I think people enjoy the podcast because <laughs> they enjoy hearing what's going on, what we're doing, what our opinions are. But we also don't mind being the butt of our own joke because in a lot of these scenarios, you become that and you can't be afraid to embrace it. And we're not. So I think that uh, we're relatable to the everyday wrestling fan because, yes, we have gotten the opportunity to be these cool wrestlers and be on this pedestal. But uh, we're just dudes like everybody else at the end of the day, man. And I think that when people see that, it, you become more relatable to them. And I think that maybe that's a little bit more attractive than, um, you know, in different eras when there wasn't social media and podcasting and stuff like that. Like, you know, I, I always believed that before that you have to maintain the R that you are a star. Well, I think you, you still have to do that, but you also have to show people the other side. Like, you know, I'm just a dude in my basement having a beer podcasting and we're talking shit because shit happened or we're laughing because something was funny or, you know, whatever the case may be. If, if you can be transparent, be real, and uh, have a semblance of honesty with your fans, I think that they'll probably keep coming back, especially if you can say it in an entertaining way. Now, as far as New Japan Pro Wrestling, did you guys always want to go back there? Because, I mean, obviously, so much fame and notoriety with the Bullet Club, but is that a place where you said, like, with Impact, like, we we got to go back, we want to go back? Yeah, that it's always been the goal, even when we signed the WWE deal initially, was to go back at some point. <clears throat> always what we wanted to do, always a goal. Um, we loved wrestling there. We loved how we were treated professionally there, but we were both just, and you know, Chad helped me embrace it even more because I'd been to Japan for IGF and Noah, but never for the amount of time and, and um, to be booked properly and to be part of something like I was with new Japan pro wrestling. And, and, and we even, they weren't happy when we left, but they understood it. And we still left on good terms. And I think we'll be welcomed back on good terms, but the culture, the people, we have a family in Japan that called the bullet club family that literally took care of us. Like, you know, we were their uncles and their brothers and took us out every night and took care of us. And just uh, the hospitality and um, the memories and the good times and the celebrations after a big pay-per-view or just whatever. There's just so much that I'm in love with about that country. And, Obviously, Carl even has a deeper rooted connection to it. So that was always a goal was to go back for sure. When you first went into New Japan Pro Wrestling and, you know, you're part of the Bullet Club, 
you expect it at all to make the gigantic impact that it did? Because not only over there, I mean, over here, it just got over huge. We knew that it was cool. We knew that there were a lot of really highly talented guys. And we saw it start to happen in Japan. I don't know that we were necessarily prepared for the crossover into America, but I think that once it started happening, we went, hell yeah, this is what was supposed to fucking happen. And I think we all handled it pretty well and tried to maximize it and get as much out of it as we could. Um, so yeah. And I mean, it's reflected, you know, look at AEW, look at mm -hmm. professional wrestling landscape kind of changed in America <clears throat> coming out of, uh, of all that stuff. So I couldn't be more proud of the young bucks and Kenny and of us and of AJ and, and everybody like that, because, you know, AJ styles, I, you know, I don't think a lot of people would disagree if he's not the best, he's one of the best wrestlers who ever lived and WWE didn't want him when he left TNA come on. But then that spotlight gets put on you in new Japan and the bullet club becomes such an entity with such a big momentum and such a merchandise mover. And, uh, we were able to become household names, names, excuse me, without wrestling on American television. So I think it's kudos to um, Gato and the booking there and uh, the talent and the performers who were delivering every night and um, still coming across as cool as we all at least think that we really are. So I think that it was just a great recipe and, and they capitalized on it and it, it really worked. So, but yeah, surprising at first, but we definitely wanted to ride the momentum and I think that everybody did a pretty good job of it. And it's crazy when the that you know that logo that that everyone knows with the, you know the, the the skull and the crossbones and everything else with that Bullet Club logo, which is actually really the second technically second logo of the Bullet right. Club. When that came out and you guys started doing that, did you kind of were like wow, this like look at look at all these shirts and me the merchandise was everywhere. It was insane, just just like that. We started. We knew the shirt was selling like like hotcakes. We were seeing them everywhere in Japan, but then. <clears throat> you know, you're over there doing that schedule. You're not necessarily paying attention to the American scene other than, oh, my buddy's over here in this company. He's doing good, good for him. Or, or over here, he's doing good, good for him. But when we started like seeing the social media mentions and stuff, and we would turn on TV just to see how many shirts that you could see because it became a phenomenon and you couldn't go anywhere in wrestling without them being everywhere. And then, you know, the independent guys, which is smart, ripping off that design. And there was every club you could come up with or imagine hell we each all had our own you know gallows club whatever club 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 <laughs> club, club, club because yep. it was a mint it was great so yeah definitely it was very exciting man. so when they originally bring you over to new japan pro wrestling how does that happen does carl anderson know you and was like we we got to bring you know doc back over to japan like how did you get actually back in new japan it's funny because Carl and I had become buddies, like text buddies. He was working in Japan. I was working in TNA. I was looking to make a move. Um, I had a one-year contract with a one-year option, but in the contract, it stated that <clears throat> if the option were to come into play, there had to be a raise. Well, basically they said stay, but there's no more money. There is no raise. And I said, that's not what this says. So we got into a bit of a pissing match. And then they said, well, then we're going to let you go. And I was like, I didn't appreciate them announcing that they had fired me when basically it was a mutual decision, but that right, right. Matter now, uh, but at the time, Nick Aldis Magnus was negotiating with TNA and he was using Scott DeMore as an agent. He introduced me to Scott and uh, that's how I really got to know Scott. Scott helped put together the new Japan deal and Carl showed a clip of me to, to Tiger Hattori in Japan 
who thought I was a good worker. And uh, I think at the time to Carl's chagrin, because he was in line for a big singles push and they went, Oh, this mm-hmm. guy, big guy, but you guys look similar. I think tag team. And he's going, fuck, fuck this guy. I want the singles push, you know? <laughs> um, and obviously I came in and the bullet club happened and, and uh, we, we, we captured uh, magic in a bottle or however the phrase goes. So we were happy about it, but initially he was kind of like, I mean, I wanted the guy to come, but you know, I wasn't looking for this tag team run, but it ended up, you know, we've been together ever since and kind of attached at the hip and we've had some, some decent runs uh, across the world with it. So it, um, everything kind of happens for a reason, but all the way back then in 13, I knew that Scott was a good guy and he had my back. And now here we are seven years later and I'm working for him and we're working together on a lot of cool shit. So what do you think about the chemistry with you and him? Was it just immediate somehow for whatever reason it just works out with you guys? Cause it does seem like you guys are like brothers or like you've known each other for a hundred years or something, but you guys have great chemistry. I don't know how or why, but I always heard guys who knew him would say to me, you know, Carl Anderson, cause you guys would be great buddies if you knew each other. And then I found out from him that guys who knew me would say, do you know gallows? Cause you guys would get along great. Same sense of humor. And we really didn't. I'd met him at like a convention at a thing we filmed in LA, but we didn't get to talk to each other. Uh, And we became uh, just kind of texting back and forth about literally just like brother shit. Hey, did you see this? Did you see this? Ha ha ha. And then I came to Japan. We worked a tag match in Cork and Hall. That was, I mean, it was like, we'd been tagging together for 10 years. We get back to the hotel. He calls me and goes, Hey, do you like uh, Mexican food? I go, yeah. He goes, you like beer? I go, yeah. I go, you want to come to my sponsor with me? I go, yeah. So <laughs> let's go. And it was like that stepbrothers moment. Did we just become best friends? And, and it was, and we've been, we've literally been together ever since. So one of my best buddies ever. That that is awesome. You know, that's just interesting because you know you're both kind of from different worlds, right? I mean, he's kind of a Southern California guy. You're more of a East Coast guy, right? Uh, well, yeah, but I mean, he started in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, okay. Uh, I started in West Virginia. So we <clears throat> had crossed paths with a lot of guys in the Carolinas and Kentucky and stuff who knew each other, but he went to California initially for the new Japan dojo. And that's where the connection with him and Rocky Romero comes in. That's funny. Now here we are all these years later and the three of us are, you know, we have a business together and a podcast and we're great buddies and all that. So, yeah, but I was an East coast guy. Um, and I, and you know, he was, we didn't know each other at all from independent stuff. I, I knew of him when he got to Japan <clears throat> and he was tagging with Matt Bloom, giant Bernard, and they were, mm-hmm. yep. they were doing the deal over there. Um, what was it? Bad attitude, I think. Yep. Uh, so I followed it, you know, and I would see the magazines and see the social media stuff and read about him, but I, I didn't, I didn't know exactly and wasn't hundred percent familiar. So then when I was Coming to go to, you know, getting ready to go to New Japan, I started watching. I went, good God, this guy's phenomenal. He's like the best kept secret in wrestling, which he's not anymore because people are finally going to see, you know, truly how good he is. The Japanese audience knows, but um, just one hell of a performer. I've been out there with, you know, some of the very best from Punk to AJ. Carl's right up there, man. Uh, he can hang with anybody in the business. Great worker. So when you guys are kind of traveling, 
to and from Japan and doing all these, you know, road trips and everything like that. Is that what we're seeing on the show? Is that you guys are just literally fun loving? You'd go out, get drinking, like uh, you mentioned uh, last night. You guys would sit there and watch Don Fry Takayama fight or something. Is that just who you guys were? You guys just fun loving, drinking, eating? Yeah, we. Um, I guess we're kind of a throwback to the past in that sense. Where you know we're not we're not wild. We're both married and settled down, but we love to have a beer. We love to talk shit. And we love to get done our match and you know, catch a buzz together. And, and, <laughs> you know, that's why it's called talk and shop. We literally would sit around in Japan and go, Hey, you want to go get a case of beer and talk some shop? Well, hell yeah, I do. And that's, that's what we do. That's, uh, that's just us being us. That's how we are in real life. That's how we are when the cameras are off. And, um, yeah, a hundred percent. That's us just going up and down the road together, having a good time and laughing the whole way. When you get to new Japan and you guys are working tags and stuff, are you cognizant of them not to say like they're better wrestlers or something like that, but are you cognizant like that? There's so much talk with like quote unquote smart marks and, and fans that really kind of pay attention to new Japan, that they have a different style. They work a really good style. They have quote unquote, some of the best workers. Are you cognizant of that going in? Or is that something you kind of just learn while, while you're working over there? No, I think that I knew it. And I think that I looked at it as an opportunity <clears throat> to not be a work rate guy. Cause as a big man, you're never going to be really considered like that. Mm-hmm but to show that you can keep up and you can put on a hell of a match with those guys and then bring something different to the table. Um, you know, because working with me is obviously going to be different than working with Carl or whatever. So, um, to show people that you can get over there and you can go and you can move for a big guy and you can do all that stuff. Uh, that was something I definitely wanted to do. And I think that uh, I did a pretty good job of it. I, I know that, you know, big men aren't necessarily always a smart mark, wrestling crowds cup of tea but i think that um i worked for the role that i was given i think that it, it went well so i feel like the big man it may be starting to come back a little bit but it's missing in wrestling i love a good big man you know what i mean like believable like you huge can kick somebody's ass is that kind of missing in today's wrestling because it seems like it went away for a little bit unfortunately i feel like it is but i think there's a big opportunity for it to come back like uh the the fulton kid madman fulton at impact I know he got released from uh, NXT. Didn't have much of an opportunity there. I didn't see any of his stuff there. I knew of him, but uh, we had a couple interactions on these tapings, and I said to him, "I go, dude, like, what's missing are two big guys that aren't afraid to really swing and kick each other's asses." And I think you and I can do that, and we're both athletic enough where we can move around while we're doing it, and we can probably really turn some heads. So, um, I'm looking to do that stuff. I think there's definitely room for it, and I think that it's an element that people like to see because it does feel dangerous when you got two, 300 pound guys out there laying the lumber and you can hear the skin fucking smashing against each other. And you can tell that they're not playing with kid gloves on, you know, that's what I told him. I go, neither one of us, uh, there's no reason to be afraid to hit me. I'm not going to be afraid to hit you. And I think that that's fun. So. Yeah. Like uh, you and Archer, you know, in Japan, yep. just kind of killing you like that. Yep. And, and, and I mean, that kind of stuff, it's, Oh, the work rate, it's not really important. I want to see some believability. I want to see these two big guys you know, not kill each other, but you know, you stiff, you're a little snug. Like, yeah. You want to, you want to, you want to feel like it's in there, man. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. I mean, I, you know, I was such a fan, <clears throat> I guess when I became smarter, it wasn't like the smart mark stuff when I was a teenager because hell it was 20 years ago now. But like when I got into the tape trade and all that, Mm-hmm. All I wanted to see was Hanson and Brody and the stuff they did in Japan and Brody yeah. and Puerto Rico because, I mean, it was just such a what a what a thing to see what a 
just extraordinary. It, it was mesmerizing to me because I was used to like, you know, WWF TV and you didn't see a lot of that stuff. These big scary looking ass kickers. I've always been a huge fan of it. Oh yeah. And when that Hulkamania six, I think it was came out and you just got to see him against Hanson. Yeah. You know, wrestling in a completely different style and Hanson stiffened the shit out of him with a Larry. Yep. It's like, Oh, this is the Hogan I want to see. Like, Oh, look at these two behemoths killing it, each other. Yeah. And it, and it showed him kind of stepping out of, what you normally saw him do. So it made it so cool. I, I love that stuff, man. I'm a big fan of it. So when you guys are wrestling like wrestle kingdom and going to the Tokyo dome, is that mean something? Is that like important to you guys? Is that because as a fan, it's like, Oh my God, Tokyo dome, how special wrestle kingdom. How cool. Does that mean stuff to you? It being that's that you were kind of an old school fan. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Tokyo dome was a big deal to me the first time. It, it's always got a special feel to it. It's very cool. Uh, some cool moments. Um, in there and uh, some shit, you know, that I'll never forget. Like, you know, Carl and I were just saying on another interview, like we're not big marks for winning the title or whatever, but <clears throat> there are places you go to for the first time and you really love them. And, uh, you know, just like sumo hall in Japan, some big, great matches over there and uh, big reactions from that crowd and learning how to really pop that crowd. It's, it's very cool. Absolutely. So just winning the IWGP tag titles, does that mean anything per se to you? Or is it just like an honor that they think so much of you that they're going to put some some gold and some weight? Well, I think it's an honor and they, it means that they trust you as a performer, as a talent to wear the hat and to, uh, you know, carry the belt. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely. Um, you know, I, I say we're not a mark for the title, but I got a IWGP title up here on the mantle that you can't see because this is um, mm -hmm. audio. Uh, so it is cool. And, uh, you know, you don't forget that stuff. And it's stuff that you, you think about it more when you're young and getting into the business than when you're, you know, 10 years plus, 15 years plus. Uh, you don't go, oh, my God, as much anymore. But it definitely means something for sure. Yeah, I I just I love kind of just looking back and it's like, oh, you know, they, they you know, they faced this team or they won this team or they won that gold because it's just something kind of add to the resume you know of doc Gallows. like oh iwgp wb tag team champion yeah. it adds to your resume for sure definitely definitely can't deny that when you left new japan and you headed to a wb in in 2016 and made your debut is that a hard decision for you or is that just like okay this is great going back to wb where i want to be like how, how did that kind of play out in your head it was a hard decision um we were talking about leaving japan because the schedule had gotten so intense chad and i 35 weeks a year the last year uh missing our kids our kids missing us uh real life shit and then we had the tna offer that we were we were flirting with and then wwe came on board and we're, we're in japan together uh aj us i remember our parents were there my mom and dad and, and carl's mom and dad or mom and we're sitting in a room and we took a vote <laughs> and i was the only one who voted no I said, I remember how that was when I was a kid. I remember how that locker room was. I don't want to go, but I got voted down. And initially I was wrong. We went, we made some great money. We had a little run there. Uh, the locker room was a hundred times better. It was a lot of fun. A lot of guys that I'm good friends with now and very supportive of, and I, I want to see him continuing to do well, but, but yeah, I was not in favor of it out of the gate. I thought we had a good thing going in Japan. It was just, we were working a little too much. Did you feel like with you guys, though, it was like a little bit of start and stop, like they're going to do something with you? Obviously, AJ and you guys, part of the Bullet Club, if you have you three, uh, no brainer, you know, make a ton of money with that, at, like New Japan did. Is that one of those things where it's kind of like, oh, start and stop, like they're, oh, big push, 
no big push. Tease, tease something with Finn, Finn Balor, tease something with AJ, and then it kind of gets shot down. Is that annoying after a while? Hell yeah. That was the entire run, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it was it was obvious to us that there were never any solid plans. Um, and it's very frustrating and that, that we were we had a lot of regrets. <clears throat> That's why it was so hard to sign back when they piled all that money onto the guarantee. And we did sign back. And then a few weeks later, we see the booking and we went, you know, we did it again. What the hell? So, yeah, it was a, that was a difficult time because we were pissed off a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. Is there some positives, though, like the OC with AJ? Any sort of positivity out of that run at all? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not shitting on the whole thing. There were definitely some positives. We had some good times. We had some real highlights. Um, just no continuity. And whoever's fault that was, I don't know. But there was never any continuity to it. So it was basically, I mean, you're right. It was a lot of start and stop. There were some good moments. And then there were some like real lulls where like we got moved to SmackDown and they don't even have like five minutes for us on the show. And we're just sitting there. It was like, what, why are we, why are we here? Why are you keeping us here? Why do we have to come to TV each week? Like it was, it was strange. So, yeah. Was that one of those things where like, okay, we just don't want these guys because they can make money elsewhere. We just don't want them making money elsewhere. Do you think that ever comes into play? I do. Uh, I felt like that was probably a part of bringing us in. Um, you know, right or wrong, I don't know the true motivation, and I don't want to harp on it because I don't. I'm not a negative guy, and I feel like that's mm-hmm. all the mirror shit. Um, yep. So we're past it now, and uh, the future looks bright. So I'll say that. Yeah, for sure. I just love that. Like, it's just thinking of them like regretting it. Like, shit. Now they're you know trending number one, <laughs> number one podcast in sports, number <laughs> podcast in wrestling. They got a beer. They got a uh, dominating Patreon. They got freaking pay per views. You know what I mean? It's just like funny when you think about it. It's like, okay, yeah. Oh, you know, you want to do that? Here we are. You know, this is the potential that you guys missed out on. You got to come out of the gate swinging. You know, I was talking to my dad on the phone about that earlier. He's got a lot going on. I said, you don't have a choice. I'm not going to sit back and and sulk. Certainly not because I'm not sad about it, but I'm also not going to let opportunities pass me by. So let's go out and make and take everyone we possibly can. You know, that's part of being a man, part of standing up for your family, part of standing up for your brand. If you're not doing that, then I don't know, go to the back of the room or something. Yeah, absolutely. I did want to mention TNA for uh, just a brief minute, just because I love aces and eights. I know so many people have different opinions on it, but right. I don't know, like the way it was structured, maybe, um, uh, Bubba Ray, maybe he shouldn't have been the leader of the group. Maybe he should have been like the set up to the leader of the group or, you know, whatever people want to say about it. I know, I know that was kind of frowned upon, like that was the leader should have been, you know, whoever, but yeah. the actual structure and the way it was done and the turns, the way they were done and the booking and the unmasking, I actually was actually like interested in TNA for a point in time because the aces and eights and obviously, you know, you were doc on it. Did you kind of feel that way or, or are you in agreement with a lot of the fans that did not like the aces and eights? Uh, I thought that a lot of it was done well. I thought that it had a lot of potential to go further than it went. But at the time, uh, there were different people in different positions that maybe didn't feel that way. But I know that TNA all the way around had a pretty damn good product at that time. I mean, you think about it, you had AJ, you had Christopher Daniels, you had Kazarian, you you know, whether you like it or not, I'm a Hogan fan. You had, you had the Hawkster there. And then, we were doing this aces and eights angle and the, at the time um, the sons of anarchy show was so popular and all the biker gang stuff. So 
I thought it was cool. I just thought that we could have kept going and done a lot more. And, and the ball got dropped somewhere there management wise. And it kind of just fizzled out, but um, I thought it could be cool. I know there were plans uh, if I would have stayed to turn me baby face out of it. And I think I was going to work with Ken and then uh, work with Bubba, but uh, they, they were talking about giving me a little shove with it and stuff like that. So um, it could have been cool if, uh, if the office would have handled it different, but in hindsight saying that, if, if that would have happened, I never would have uh, joined the bullet club and we probably wouldn't mm -hmm. be having this conversation to be a much different look. So yeah. Oh you know, yeah. Everything happens for a reason, I guess. I just think it's funny. Like I've talked to Ken Anderson and, and Mike Knox and D'Lo yeah. and you know a bunch of and Wes Briscoe and Garrett Bishop. Yeah. Everyone liked it. That was a part of the group. They and they said the same thing you did. Should have done more with it. Ended too soon. Didn't end the right way. So it's it's like a consensus amongst the boys that Aces and Eights was, was good and, and well done. It just wasn't finished correctly, and they could have done more with it. Yeah, it was like there was a beginning and kind of a middle, but no end. So. Mm -hmm. you just left the fans, you know, for lack of a better term, with their dicks in their hands, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I uh, I was the same way. I thought I thought it was cool, and I it had some buzz to it. And you know, Impact was great about these teasers with us coming in, but they did a couple of teasers on the shows where they showed like D'Lo with the aces and eights fast and different oh, stuff yeah. like. That. Yep. And uh, my my social media had a lot of a lot of traction over that, a lot of mentions and a lot of questions and a lot of stuff. So I mean. It definitely left its mark on people, bad or good. Yep, for sure. And I just think uh, Aces and Eights uh, kind of underrated, also kind of underrated. Just looking back, Festus. I always <laughs> uh, was was a big fan of Festus. I was like, man, uh, like it kind of shows your range. Like you know, you did that imposter cane thing. Okay, you know that's whatever. But then you come with Festus, and it's like, man, this is a big ass kicker, um, almost like a, a Terry Gordy type, or you know, some somebody of that that vein of like a big ass kicker. But he's got some range here. He could play at you know, this, this kind of fun WWE sports entertainment type character well i appreciate the terry gordy reference i don't know that i'll ever be that good but i appreciate it and and my tag team partner jesse was the son of terry gordy during that yes. run yep uh you know i always say it was a good way to get on tv i was 23 years old when i debuted as festus and basically they told me to grow out my cul-de-sac and kind of be as fat as i wanted and this was the character i was going to play so you know when you grow up thinking you're going to be this long-haired wrestler in a cool robe or something and you become festus you're going well but i always have said make the best out of any situation and the fact was it was a great way to get my feet wet on tv because i could kind of hide behind the character i had fun playing the character and for the mid-card act that it was it was a lot of fun it was always over every live event that we did in the country festus got a pop because he had enough tv time where people knew what it was and it's a simple concept the bell rings he goes crazy he kicks the shit out of the bad guy the bell rings he's back in his stupor very simple very easy to digest whether you're six years old or you know an old lady or whatever so i was hawkins and i were talking about it the other night we were having a drink after the impact tapings and somebody one of the boys asked that and not that they were shitting on it but they were like well, what was it like working with them doing that and he said it was fun and it was easy because it was it was it got a reaction and it was over in every part of the country we went to i mean I'm not saying it was over enough to sustain a big singles push or anything, but as a, as a character and a, and a fun, uh, maybe half-assed comedy act, it definitely worked. So, um, I'm not embarrassed by that at all, Bought my first house with it. So it was all good. 
Yeah, I mean, I I loved it, but uh, very cool. And yeah, and obviously Jesse, really the the son of Terry Gordy, but you yeah. physically look like you know and, and act like him and wrestle like him a bit. Yeah. Jesse, uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess Jesse's more of a, the, his mom's gene or something like that. But uh, well, you know, uh, Ray's mom was about four foot ten, so I think he just didn't get Terry's height. Oh, yeah. Ray was a hell of a little worker too. He just never got the credit for for being as good as he was. And and you know they would <laughs> that was in that era where they would just tell you this insane shit like he had come from working in pro wrestling noah and doing all these cool suplexes and this intense style and they were like you know watch uh tapes of marty Jannetty and the new rockers that's how we want you to be and he's going what 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 are you doing <laughs> and now he's trying to like monkey flip and do cartwheels and it just it's like can't he just be him but you know it's not the way it works there sometimes yeah. so Speaking of pro wrestling, no, I always thought Takeshi Marishima was uh, Terry Gordy's like bastard child. That literally is the spitting image of him, but but Japanese. I mean, it's Japanese Terry Gordy. I always thought the same thing. It's a shame his career didn't last a little longer. Yeah, I yeah. Literally. I worked him. I wrestled him, and no, it was fun. Literally same height, same weight. Like it's insane. Mm -hmm. Like literally, it's just same hair, same hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So as we hit the wind down, we head towards the finish. I know you got so much going on. It's literally kind of just insane. Like, I know you're, you're like, I got to squeeze you in here. You got, you know, like I'm doing this, I'm yeah. doing that. So you were number of, seven of nine today, my brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. You know, this is just so much stuff, but just please give us a big, you know, talking shop, a mania, you know, on pay-per-view, just give us like a, a little, uh, just one little push and just mention the Patreon, the beer, the podcast, uh, everything wow. you got going. Cause you got so much going on. Well, I will say this. Thanks to all of you who are listening. The talking shop brand is alive and well, the worst podcast ever talking shop. Wherever you listen to podcasts, rate, like, subscribe. Look for Talking Shop Beer coming your way. You can find our merch on ProWrestlingTees.com, CollarAndElbowBrand.com, BreakneckGear.com. It's all over the place. But most importantly, August the 1st, drop the 15 bucks, have a couple drinks, get ready to have a laugh because Talking Shop Amania comes on at 9 p.m. American and Canadian pay-per-view providers I pay-per-view via the fight app fight TV will be broadcasting this thing. It is going to be a hell of a spectacle, a show, maybe match quality. I don't think so, but the worst pay-per-view ever will deliver as the boner yard match will be epic. It will be remembered. There will be more insider shit spoof than you could ever imagine. There will be cameos that you don't even know why we thought of them, but I think they're hilarious. So please join us August the 1st, Talking shop a mania. You're going to see greats from all areas of professional wrestling, all different eras from the current era to the forefathers who brought us to the dance. They're all winking. They're all having a good time. It's not disrespectful. It is a parody about what we all know and love. And that is the great sport of Kings professional wrestling. Join us August 1st for talking shop a mania. I will. So just uh, one final question for you. You got so much going on. Like I said, the Patreon, the beer, where do you see yourself in, in a couple of years? Like impact on top of the world, new Japan on top of the world. Where do you see your brand? I mean, the good brothers are huge and over. Where do you see yourself going from here? I just want the good brother brand to keep broke, to keep growing. Um, we got a lot of stuff in the works. There's a lot of projects we're working on that we can't really say anything about because we're, tightening the screws and signing the paperwork, uh, proud to be part of the impact brand, uh, proud to have the opportunity to hopefully go back to new Japan pro wrestling soon. I cannot wait 
until the world is open and we can all enjoy professional wrestling together again. And what I mean is you, the fans watching us, the wrestlers, I know I'm not supposed to call us pro wrestlers, but I'm allowed to now (laughs) in an arena, in a gym, in a venue, either telling us how much you love us or telling us how much you hate us. But we, as the wrestling community deserve to be together and I cannot wait to be doing that. So a few years down the road, I hope we're having a packed out house. I hope that good brother music hits. I hope you yay. I hope you boo. And I hope we have one hell of a good time because we're not slowing down. It's only going to go up from here. Awesome stuff, Doc. It's finally great to get you on after all these years. Finally able to get you on. We did it. But we did it. Yes. Screw them. We did it. Yes. So awesome stuff. And I will definitely be watching Talking Shop of Mania on pay-per-view and listen to the podcast. Thank you so much, Doc. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.